0: Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a motoring and transport program where facts are important but so is passion and opinion. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories including Toyota appeals the class action court decision, Hyundai Motor Group and Michelin combined to develop next generation tyres and semiconductor production could face another hurdle. In our feature story, we take up the issue of members of the public being able to dob in illegally parked cars and receive up to 25% of subsequent fines. Brian Smith raises a number of possibilities about how we manage our road and footpath space. We have some feedback on diesel filters and ugly car wraps, and in our road tests, we look at the Nissan Warrior with Alan Service in a way that uses its capabilities without going to extreme lengths. You can always find more information at drivenmedia.com.au. But for this program, let's start with the news. A court decision that could see Toyota have to pay $2 billion in compensation to drivers of some of their diesel vehicles has now been appealed by the Japanese car company in the Federal Court of Australia. More than 260,000 Hilux, Prado and Fortuna models between October 2015 and April 2020 are affected. The issue is the diesel particulate filters part of the pollution control system. The filters trap the particulates, often thought of as the sooty part of the diesel exhaust. When the filters start to fill up with particulates, they have to be cleaned out. Unlike the backflushing of a pool filter or the washing of an air conditioner filter, the process in vehicles is to raise the temperature of the filter and burn the particulates into a less polluting form. Most cars do this automatically, but typically you need to run the car for more than just local trips. Toyota recommends that for the affected vehicles, you run at 60 kilometres an hour or more for 20 to 30 minutes every 300 kilometres, which is a lot. If you haven't done this, a warning light may come on and you are advised to park the car, leave it running and press a button to start the process. If there is insufficient burning of particulates in these vehicles, they might suddenly emit a large amount of white smoke and create a foul smell. Toyota says their appeal, quote, includes challenges to the factual and legal basis for the award of damages, particularly in circumstances where many of the group members did not experience the DPF issue. At the same time, we understand some customers have experienced inconvenience and discomfort from this issue. For this, we apologise. They go on to say, We have worked continuously since becoming aware of DPF concerns on an effective resolution for affected customers. The Hyundai Motor Group has signed a Memorandum of Understanding with Michelin to develop the next generation of tyres optimised for premium electric vehicles. The agreement is a follow-up to the first five-year partnership signed in 2017 to jointly develop an exclusive tyre for the IONIQ 5 and carry out experiments and analysis methods as well as technological exchange. Over the next three years they plan to jointly develop the use of more eco-friendly materials, tyres optimised for the next generation EVs, and a real-time tyre monitoring system which will help advance autonomous driving technology. Electrical vehicles have a great reputation in acceleration performance, but with the weight of the batteries, albeit advantageously located low down in the vehicle, there is still a matter of achieving sporty handling. Furthermore, reducing pollution from recycling tyres and the fine material they leave on the road when they wear has become a bigger issue since tailpipe pollution is eliminated with electric vehicles. The shortage of semiconductors, more particularly known as chips, has created huge supply problems for many industries, most notably car manufacturers. It was triggered principally by the COVID outbreak and exacerbated by labour challenges and geopolitical uncertainties. Now the industry is trying to increase capacity and catch up with demand, but there is another problem arising out of Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. Lasers are used to make the chips, and lasers depend on neon gas. Reuters reports that Ukraine's two leading suppliers of neon, InGas and Cryon, which produce about half of the world's supply of this key ingredient, have halted their operations as Moscow continues its attack on the country. Geopolitics could add further complications. Chip manufacturer Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, TSMC, produces over a quarter of the world's chips and is the largest manufacturer in the market. They have reported second quarter revenue of 19.3 billion in comparable Australian dollars, an increase of 28 percent year over year and an increase of 2.9% from the previous quarter. Along with Texas Instruments and Intel, TSMC is investing billions of dollars into the construction of new manufacturing opportunities, but a restriction in supply of neon could stall the recovery. And that has been the news. Last week we touched on the issue of people being able to report illegal parking in a traffic lane, say so a bike lane, and cyclists getting a percentage of the fine, and that was raised to us through our good friend Brian Smith, who joins us on the line to talk about the issue in a little bit more depth. G'day, Brian.
1: G'day, David. Is
0: this vigilanteism gone too far, or <laughs> do you think it's a good idea?
1: No, I think it's a great idea. It's um, it goes beyond the thing of of, of finding um. Vehicles that park in, in bicycle lanes and uh, it, it introduces that very Texas idea of a bounty where, um, you know, by reporting the, the crime or the, the misdemeanor, you can um, get part of the, of the fine. It's just 25%. And now the fine is $300 for parking in a, in a bike lane. And um, and you may you may say, hey, look, you know, what's the big problem with parking a bike lane? But but uh, a lot of research has shown that that actually bike lanes contribute quite substantially to the economic well-being of streets, much more than a parking space does. And so um, you know, somebody blocking a bike lane is is basically hampering the economic life of the city. So I, I like the the idea that you know the reporting needs to happen, the enforcement needs to happen, and the cost of enforcing either falls on the police who have to, you know, travel up and down the cycle lane checking all the time. Uh, in this way, the enforcement cost is is absorbed by the public, the people who are most affected by this, cyclists. So, you know, you can take a photograph, upload it on an app, um, and, uh, you know, not only does the, the person blocking the bike lane copper fine, but in a very Texas sort of 10-gallon hat posse kind of way um you're getting part of that uh, of that bounty and that the that word bounty that's such a uh a, it's like sort of western american thing isn't it david you can imagine you, we could set up a posse to go around you know a posse of cyclists to go around basically uh, earning these bounties we could become bounty hunters
0: even better we could start a television program the bounty hunters of the of bicyclists i believe there are certain television programs where bounty hunters go around. Now, we just need to, maybe we'd have to uh, fake it if necessary, get some sort of even more stronger, aggressive response to this. That's the way, of course, of making television work.
1: Well, David, if we're going to do reality, then it goes without saying that we're going to fake it all.
0: (laughs) Sincerity is everything. Once you learn to fake that, you've got it made. Does the person who gets fined, do they know that it's been a member of the public that's dubbed them in?
1: No, I don't believe so, David. I, I believe it's just a process where you you um, make a report and then if the fine is levied, then you as that user would, um, would get part of that fine. I don't, think, uh, I don't think they sort of say, hey, you were pinged by. Although, look, that could be a good idea because then you could have like a, like a league table, couldn't you? You know, of people, you know, the the top of the league, you know, the the hottest bounty hunter, the the fastest bike in the west, kind of thing.
2: <laughs> David. You know, like
1: you you get the sort of uh, yeah, the the hired killer that strides into town. You know, you could start traveling this to other cities and have you know, like you know, bring the enforcer from Austin. Yeah, the number one guy from Austin. We're bringing him to Dallas, say, to to do his magic here. Kind of a reverse Pied Piper.
0: So he doesn't have spurs, he has bicycle clips. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) That's the jingle jangle, you know, just before you hear that music.
0: Well, the other thing is he could ride up and down on a horse. That would, you know, he doesn't need to be on a bike to actually capture the person. But that would mean then you might have to mount a dash cam on the horse's head. That might be the way to do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think... uh, That'd be suitably American and Texan, wouldn't it? But I, I like the idea of the, you know, the the bicycle is the mechanical horse, David. I mean it's the
0: Okay. It's mm. the
1: uh, I believe it was the bicycle is the last machine that people understand. That, you know, you can you can understand a bicycle. Um, you know, when you get to an internal combustion engine, you know, it's a whole bunch of gigors and things under the bonnet that you don't want to know about. So um I, I like the idea of the you know the bounty hunters uh, riding into town. You know a bit like BMX bandits, I guess. If you're a t- doing an Australian version, <laughs> in fact, David, there's our hook, I think, because it could then combine sort of parkour with uh, vigilanteism. What's the Australian actress who made a name in Nicole Kidman? BMX bandits, but it's not a it's not a small problem. So um, the Environment Planning Group in uh, you know, Austin, Texas, says that. Uh, that basically complaints about blocked bike lanes surged uh, 35% between 2019 and 2021. So it's a, it's a bit of a problem. Associated with that, David, I've been watching something unfolding in, in uh, Auckland, New Zealand, which is a sort of similar thing. Mm-hmm. So there's a bunch of car yards in, um, in Auckland CBD or just on the edge of it and um, and they've, they've been putting in sort of uh, cycle lanes and transit lanes for buses and such like. But car trucks that deliver cars to car yards uh, seem to be completely exempt from any kind of road safety or traffic management requirements. So they'll, they'll just pull up these large transporters in the bicycle lane or in the bus lane and then unload the car. So they'll either be sit parked in lane one Unloading the cars and driving them in, or they're or they're blocking the, the bicycle lane, and um and it seems that that there's kind of an informal agreement with the sort of transport agencies and authorities just to turn a blind eye to it. So they're not subject to any of the kind of traffic management that you would have if there was a construction site, right? And you know where you'd have to have a stop go person, you have to look after people's safety. Um, it appears that these um, car carriers are just basically a law unto themselves. Yeah, to do what could be very dangerous activities, David. So it's it's not a problem sort of stuck in the States. These sort of, uh, you know, taking over public space is, um, is everywhere.
0: All right, let's just finish it at that stage. But at the later stage, we will talk to you about malls. But we'll come to that. Thank you, David. You're listening to Overdrive. We mentioned in the news Toyota's problem with the diesel particulate filter. I spoke to Isuzu Ute who have put their filters near the turbocharger, which typically run hot and help the process. And Toyota have implemented an engineering solution to models after April 2020. It raises the question of whether many diesel vehicle owners are aware of the need and the value of running their vehicle on a longer trip to allow this process to clean the filter to happen effectively. I spoke to several of our mechanical engineering correspondents. Jack Haley emphasised the need to follow the RTFM process, which means read the freaking manual. He said, It's amazing how much useful information you can find in the operator's manual. It's not the most scintillating of reads, he's got that right, but it's definitely educational. What's this button for? How do I reset the tyre pressure monitoring system? How do I stop the doors from automatically locking? Are just some of the questions he has posed. He goes on to say, if you don't have an owner's manual for some reason, you can get the most recent versions online, or you can download PDF versions for model years 2010 and up. The PDF version is great because it's searchable. As we mentioned in the past, we are now working on a project about communicating this sort of information to the driver, including the effectiveness, or otherwise, of owner's manuals. Now, our other mechanical engineer, Fred Brain, commented, Looking in the Groner's Annual, his word for owner's manual, of our current Pajero, bits are missing, his word for Mitsubishi, recommends that, quote, to minimise the likelihood of excessive accumulation of particulate matter in the filter, try to avoid driving for long periods at slow speeds and repeatedly driving short distances and try to keep high engine speed driving as much as possible. Apparently build-up of material in the system can be a problem in older petrol cars. Our Jaguar correspondent Chris Leadbeater said, that is, V12, develops its peak power between four and 5,000 revs per minute, but spends most of its time between 1,500 and 3,000 revs per minute. So, he says, it occasionally needs a, quote, Italian tune-up. That is, to get the engine up to run temperature, then floor it in a couple of gears to blow out all that accumulated carbon and stuff. Makes it run much better. I'm amazed at how you can change the colour of a car with a wrap. I don't know how they do it without wrinkles and gaps, but people do do it with matte paint, and there are quality issues about having a consistent colour, and some people even add graphic design to it. Now, Alan Zervis from Gay Car Boys and I saw a car that tried to put all these things together, Alan, it was a little Audi, which is a, a
3: prestige car at the best of times. Did it work? Oh, David, I thought it was a disaster, absolute disaster. Do you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of somebody who is clear coated failed and they tried to use a spray can, a spray can, <laughs> and the white stripe. What a disaster! I mean, they they do it without wrinkles. It looks like uh, think of it as very thick. Cling film, right? And when they put it on, they they actually use uh, something that looks akin to a hairdryer. Yeah. And as they they squeegee it on, they get all the little air bubbles out. So the job was done. Okay, it's just that it looked it looked like a failed paint job.
0: The colour, which was matte, which looks like an undercoat at the best of times, wasn't consistent though. On the side door, it looked like it had faded a bit or or others around it had faded at a different rate. And then you mentioned the GT stripe. This is not an elegant thin stripe or two stripes or something with a bit of style. Someone uh, wrote in, uh, Peter Sheetha, and said that he felt that the car had probably been left on the road when council were painting a bit of line marking there.
3: Absolutely. A big, (laughs) thick stripe. Do you know what it reminded me of? Have you ever seen those memes on social media? Mainly in America, I think, but the machine's gone over a flattened squirrel. That's what it looked like.
0: Our artist in residence, Dean Oliver, sent me a photo of a Nigel Thompson painting, which had people painting white lines at a stop line over a set of lights and someone had died on the road and they'd painted over the top of that. Now, it was a painting, but I think it served the same principle, making the same point, perhaps a little more strongly.
3: It gets back to the point of, like, what on earth were these people thinking? It wasn't a new Audi by any means. It was probably 10 or more years old. But even so, I thought it, it took a, what was a reasonable car and made it look absolutely dreadful.
0: It might have had faded paint or something. It might have had paint that had been, you know, a car left under a tree for a long time or something or other out in the open, so they decided to go with the trendy matte finish and it all fell in a heap. Alan, uh, not uh, the best of things. Uh, Look, we'll catch up after the break and let's talk about a more modern car with a reasonable paint design, including a bit of artistic work.
2: This is Overdrive across Australia. Over the years, the Toyota Kluger has proved extremely popular as a family car. The latest model is without doubt the best yet, and with a choice of petrol or petrol hybrid engines, hybrids work well for SUVs as they combine the benefits of excellent fuel economy with no range anxiety. We've previously driven the Grande, and this week we drove the entry-level GX model. It's comfortable and spacious inside, especially for the front two rows has cavernous storage areas and particularly good legroom for middle-row passengers. The GX also comes with fabric seats, LED headlights, three-zone climate air conditioning, 8-inch central infotainment screen, wide Apple CarPlay and Android Auto connectivity. The hybrid system delivers a combined maximum power of 184 kilowatts and a smooth electric CVT that offers driver-selectable normal, eco and sport modes. economy is claimed to be 5.6 litres per 100km and we weren't too far off that on test. Priced from $54,150 plus the usual costs, the GX Hybrid Kluger is well-equipped, comfortable and spacious SUV for the family. This is a Motoring Minute. I'm Rob Fraser. This is
0: Overdrive across Australia. Now we have Alan Zervis from Gay Car Boys back and now... I have been driving the Nissan Navara Pro 4X Warrior. It has the great capability and the image for the rough and tumble of rugged four-wheel driving, but I didn't really want to push it to the limits. I took it to places you would not take most SUVs. They might make it, but you would be super cautious and a bit worried I took it to a place in the middle of the bush, and it was wonderfully quiet. Not the vehicle for you, Alan, necessarily, or necessarily pushing that rugged outdoor
3: lifestyle. Well, David, funnily enough, I've, as you know, driven that very same car, Mm. and I, too, took it to places that were extremely difficult to get to, namely the car park at Coles Broadway. (laughs)
0: That's hard to park, I know, because <laughs> it's, it's big
3: The problem was it was too tall and the, uh, the top of it twanged on the, on the uh, guardrails You raise a good point, you know, some of these cars that can go anywhere and take you to a lovely serene place on a glade somewhere but they can't take you shopping.
0: I'll come to that in a moment. I don't think it's an urban car for a variety of reasons. But you and I test cars, and most cars are hardly ever, if ever at all, used to their extreme limit, be it in acceleration, handling, or in the case of four-wheel drives, as we know, most don't even go off the bitumen. But I wasn't keen to go out there and try and find a vertical rock face to climb up. And where I went, there were some rocks that were nearby that had scratches all over them and perhaps the odd bit of broken taillights and so on where people had tested themselves and their vehicle to the limit. I thought, what an extreme waste of time.
3: I agree. And I think there are times when you have to admit one's limits. The vehicle may be more capable of it, but I think where there's scratches and bits of broken accessory... I think you have to say, okay, well, those people fail without expert tuition. Why would we try?
0: I don't want to be that level of expertise that makes it extremely uncomfortable for passengers and really pushing a limit just for the sake of achieving something that has no meaning to my mind. Now, Alan, I went through a, a reasonable large puddle but you know what I went through gently and I got a bit of mud on the wheels but I didn't splash it up onto the bonnet or even the roof I didn't have to do it and so I meant I drove it home I didn't have all that mud over it which you know the rev heads might feel as a badge of honor I didn't need to do it I was gentle and I sat there and it was as quiet as a church mouse
3: but I think that's the point, David. You know you can do it. Like those fast, you're right, the fast cars that we drive, the the extremely high-powered things that corner like a like like a rocket on rails. But you know you can do it, so you don't have to. <laughs> and this is the same thing, you know. You 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 know you can go anywhere, but if you've gotten to where you want to go, why go further? Like if you're already there. <laughs>
0: Now, Alan, I could see you going out there and having some pate de foie gras and some Bollinger champagne. There's even a Mitsubishi ad now with a tent, but it's got a spa outside and a butler serving champagne. That would be your idea of enjoying the bush?
3: Well, David, I don't know if you remember or not, but there was an old show called The Persuaders and it had uh, Roger Moore and Tony Curtis. Ah, And Roger Moore was a was a uh, titled Englishman and Tony Curtis was an oil baron. American. Yes. And one of the scenes opens with Roger Moore cooking breakfast on a full range on the deck of a tent. (laughs) So there's a chandelier and a proper bed and all this, four-poster bed and all this sort of thing. That's my idea of camping.
0: What I loved about uh, that program was he drove an Aston Martin V8 and Tony Curtis drove a Ferrari Dino. Beautiful car. Yes. And it was the juxtaposition of the the big square muscular-looking Aston Martin, you know, remember it was the one with the big grill and sizable grill and that, mm. and the beautiful lines of the Dino Ferrari, loved it completely. Now, let, let's uh, be honest, the uh, Warrior, the Nissan Warrior, has a 2.3 litre uh, twin turbocharged engine. Now, we talked about it not being appropriate in an urban area car park in a supermarket is not its natural environment narrow streets in the inner city suburb no but the other thing too is the suspension was pretty good on most roads until you got to a a poor inner city road or the m2 motorway
3: absolutely right well indeed i i did drive it down the m2 motorway and it it felt what's the word out of place yes But, David, you've hit the nail on the head before. You've said you wanted to go those far-flung places and, go on dirt tracks and what have you, but you've got to get there, and you want to get there comfortably.
0: So I thought this one would tour quite well, you know, on a smooth matterway. The thing about the M2, of course, it has a lot of joins on it, and so you get the thump, 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 thump as you go down it on the rather stiffer suspension. It's not grossly inconvenient. It just emphasises that this type of environment, and a mate of mine lives out in a very old suburb that has some old concrete roads, he could cope with them
3: quite readily, but it would not be comfortable for
0: the driver.
3: No, but you know what it reminded me of? Uh, we went to a Rolls-Royce do some while ago, and I was speaking to the man from Rolls-Royce who was reminiscing about the 20s, 30s, where the explorers would get their special outfits from Savile Row or wherever it was, and they'd go to Rolls-Royce and they'd say, well, I want to do this with my car, and they'd fit it out. And those cars were on places where there were actually no roads. So they were trying every bit as rough a terrain as these things can go. Uh, So I think on the bright side... This thing is prepared to go there. It's whether or not the person that buys it has bought it, just to say that he's bought it at dinner the next night.
0: When we park it outside the castle, your castle in one area, mine, a little bit of the gentleman touring, grand tour to get to another castle down the road, that's when we might appreciate this particular vehicle.
3: Well, I run- once heard the Queen say the Royal coach, the uh, st- uh, Irish state coach, was unbelievably uncomfortable because it had straps yes. of leather for suspension. Yes. And that's what this reminded me of.
0: <laughs> Not quite that bad. But then again, I have just driven the Jeep Jeep, Wrangler Rubicon, but we'll come to that at a later date. Alan, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time.
3: As always, David, thanks.
0: And that's our friend Alan Zervis from Gay Carboys. We're horses for courses and not pushing vehicles to their limit, but enjoying them from what they can do and do well and with a degree of comfort in the right environment. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Brian Smith, Alan Zervis, Jack Haley, Fred Brain, Christopher Leadbeater and Paul Just for their great help with the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.